Hey everybody, welcome to the Retail Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Josh Fisher. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the power of insight for retailers. We're going to be looking at consumer insights, global insights, and competitor insights, and how you can use this information to better your retail stores. We are also going to be looking at digital markets and e-commerce and how they affect the modern retail industry as we know it. Joining us today to talk about his experience in the retail space is Brian Walker, founder and CEO of Retail Doctor. Hey, Brian. Hey, Josh. How are you? I'm well, man. Thank you so much for coming on. A pleasure. Looking forward to it. So I want to jump right into it. Uh, congratulations on starting Retail Doctor. Just want to give us a brief overview of what you guys do there as a company. Yeah, sure. We're now into our 14th year, uh, Josh, and we are an insights strategy implementation business. Uh, so we're a consulting advisory firm, but, but I also support that by writing, speaking, um, a whole range of sort of associated things that are around building the, the brand of Retail Doctor, but most importantly, uh, building great client experiences. Uh, and our business started in the world of implementation. So my background had been in running retail companies and, and sort of working my way through. And I really saw that, that there's a lot of great work being done in strategy around what to do. We built a how-to-do-it business, basically, and developed uh, trademarks in business fitness. And, and very much when we work with clients, our insights work, our strategy work, always focused on how do you implement this work how do you how do you basically get all the customer touch points from in store through to online through the website um, measurable adding value and actually on track strategy yeah for sure so your strategy you know you talk about uh, you know you've been doing it for 14 years what is your strategy and how did it develop over the years I think our strategy was always to be the how-to implementation experts. And everything around insights and strategy is to support that. So our strategy has been to grow a consulting advisory practice that works not just here in Australia but with our international partners to help businesses in the business-to-consumer space to grow their business either organically, that is uh, building of the community, number of stores, online, Omnichannel, as we call it these days, uh, but also at the transactional level, within the four walls or, or within the sites, if you like, around maximizing customer experience, uh, customer economics, and value for the business. And so our strategy, and funny, I've always had this term in my head, Josh, good work and network. So for us, it's about building brand, building reputation, uh, and, and we do that through delivering value to our clients. That's a great line. I really like that. So you talk about implementation and you talk about insight, and I find the inside of your business probably the most fascinating. Uh, so first I want to jump into consumer insight. Why do you feel consumer insight is important? Oh, well, I think, um, you know, strategy without consumer insights is a bit like surgery with a blunt scalpel. And and so you've got, in a, in a world now in which the, the trend has really moved from product, and while product is still super important, consumers are uh, evolved now fundamentally through access to technology, 
expressing itself as mobile and data and all the stuff we're increasingly familiar with. The, uh, the understanding of consumer uh, in terms of their behavior, their drivers, their behavior, is more critical than ever before. We grew up with our parents' parents and our parents talking much more in terms of demographics, predictive behavior, standardization, homogeneous treatment of customers or of populations. However, what we've learned over the years is that the trends are very much in really good, incisive psychographics, neuroscience, behavior understanding and the science of behavior, such that, you know, we have neuroscientists programs and, and neuroscience qualified and mathematicians on board and analysts on board to understand increasingly the fine point between big data and personality trends, personality profiling, a lot of what I've touched on. And the intersection of that is really deep consumer understanding. When you have that, you're then able to start to look with more context around market opportunity. And then the third element, which I can touch on at any time, is cultural fit, capability, and capacity of the organization you're uh, consulting or advising to. So consumer insights has, has risen to the fore. And personally, I, I, I think I knew four or five, even six years ago, that viable consulting and advisory had to be predicated on good, relevant consumer insights and, and you know, market and global insights. The other things that have happened, if I may, is that I learned that demographics have a place, but, but increasingly, Consumer profiling and understanding of consumer personalities is really the driver to behavior. Let me give you a quick example. Let's say that a client came to us and said, we want to open a business in London. And we want to target men aged 64 and above, earning over a million pounds each, domiciled in London. In a classic demographic study, we would bring back information on the, the primary market containing Prince Charles, the probable future king of England, and Ozzy Osbourne, the Black Sabbath singer. And so demographically, they make the same segment. But of course, their personalities at face value are so divergent as to render the demographic study not especially meaningful. So anyway, so, so we've done a lot of work in that space, and we're, we're pretty fine-tuned there. No, it makes sense. Uh, and just, you know, you've been doing it for 14 years, but as you said, it's just this this uprising of digital media and e-commerce. How have you seen things change since when you first started till now? And how are you keeping up with everything? Well, you know, when, when I started, it was very, you know, we would talk to clients even in the early days and we'd do the basic work and we'd map it all out. We'd say, you know what, you could be 50, 100, 300 shops, one on every corner. And, and it was very much about, product was king in Australia. Australia has one of the highest world's uh, per capita density of shopping centres. We've got something like 1,350 shopping centres um, supporting what is predominantly 20, well, it is 25 million people, predominantly on the East Coast and uh, to a lesser degree on the West Coast. So very concentrated. So malls are a way of life for, for Australians. 
So that's the starting position, really. But now we look very much in what we call the retail ecosystem. So we look at the way uh, businesses have their point of difference, their advantage, where that lies, and that's informed by consumer market and so forth. Uh, and then we talk much more about building this this concept of community. And so it may not be as many physical, in fact, it won't be as many physical stores. It'll have a much stronger online social componentry. It'll have a slightly different org, org structure than what it did years ago. Its capital will be as much in digital investment, business information systems investment, as it is in the physical hub. We still very much have the view that the physical store is the is the jewel in the crown, and and that does vary a little bit category by category, but it is at the heart of it. But even the physical store is changing, as you know only too well, and your listeners know only too well. We look at the United States as a bit of a weather vane of what's going on in that sense, um, and so those fundamental changes are such that. You know, to, to encapsulate it, it's grown from bringing people to the brand to bringing brand to the people. And that implies this, this you know, conceptual thinking of changing the classic pyramid of 14 or 10 years ago completely on its, completely on its ear. And also the other issue is that we, we see, and you live with it, but we're seeing the beginning of the Amazonian Alibaba-type models and we're starting to get a clearer definition between shopping and buying. And buying is very much the domain of uh, those sort of models in, in that sense. Um, and, the, and the shopping environment is the physical, you know, experiential, aspirational model supported ably by fulfillment uh, and, and getting the product out to people much more quickly. The, the thing to say too, of course, is that as I say this, Australian retail is about three. Well, it is about three hundred and twenty um, billion Australian, and of online sales, whilst growing in double digit, on average, are still only around about nine percent of sales. But the vast majority of retailing is still done in stores, but the vast majority of research pre purchase, if you like, is done online, particularly for larger ticket items. So it is this so it is this building of the retail ecosystem that's much more the, the change. On a global level, how are people buying on a global scale? Oh well we what I've just touched on, I think is really an indicator of, of where it sits in the developed markets. You know, we've seen some interesting stuff that's showing us that online will be on average, 20% by 2020. That feels a little bit bullish from uh, from this from the Australian perspective. But globally, it's probably pretty close. And 30% by 2030, Josh. So I think what I've sort of tried to demonstrate today is really the trend globally. We're seeing that in the UK, Europe, United States, Canada to a slightly lesser degree. And so what we're seeing globally, to your question, is a dramatic transformation in this thing called retailing. 
And I think the other thing that is interesting is that as technology advances in the next period, the growth of AI and so forth, uh, the Internet of All Things, we'll, we're seeing retailing moving from a uh, discrete app activity, that is we go to the shops, to an ambient activity, that is that it's with us 24-7, from Alexa or Google in our homes, through the subscription modelling, buying rather, through to Prime, through to all the various devices and, and the bigger players, as you know, the Amazons and so forth, have built this data-driven machine that pervades into people's lives and is part of their lifestyle, part of their rituals. That's globally taking shape. And so that will be another change in the way that the developed countries uh, offer retail. And we're seeing that, that change not just, as you've seen it, in American retail, but clearly in Australian retail, where mid-market, legacy, large retailers, department stores, for example, are really feeling the pinch. And we're seeing closes of some long-standing established bricks-and-mortar retailers, as well as openings, of course. And we're also seeing consolidation of some of these retail brands by, you know, joint ventures and the like. These are all adaptation and consequences uh, to this transformation. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, what kind of data is available for retail brands about their competitors and how a smaller retail brand, for example, can compete with a big company like Amazon or any one of these big digital retailers? Yeah, okay. So the, the first part is what sort of information uh, is available? There's a plethora of information available online now uh, around competitors, particularly, obviously, public companies that have to report. Um, it, it's always important, particularly for medium and smaller size retailers, to be engaged with their communities, their retail associations, um, go to updates, get updates from companies like myself or our retail doctor group. Um, so if I'm answering the question, there's more information than ever before. But, but when we speak to small and medium-sized retailers, no real surprise is that at one level everything new is or everything old is new again in a sense, and that is that we do try to concentrate businesses to really work out pretty quickly and pretty succinctly what they're great at what their unique point of difference is and, and what's that unique proposition uh, that by definition is hard to copy, um, builds great relationship with customers, delivers innovative product or new design product or whatever it might be as that point of difference. And then how do they get that to their community, to their market? And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But, you know, over the years, I think that the businesses that I've, we've worked with in the initial stages that have an aligned, coherent, clear uh, purpose, point of difference, um, are probably not in the main, to be honest. They're probably they're there. But the majority tend to have um, different views on strategy, different views on uniqueness of offer. So the first point is to consolidate that. Uh, and Josh, you've asked about small businesses, well, and how they compete with these big machines, if you like, um, the digital businesses. Well, well, one is to embrace them, 
So they can also be a channel of distribution. To figure out pretty quickly what they can customize and what they commoditize. Uh, and, and therefore that distinction between shopping and buying. Uh, have a really good, simple business information system. You're able to get nice data, nice metrics, good CRM platform. So you're able to pick up, um, you know, and build really, really nice uh, data on your own customers that helps the customer experience. And, and to think about retailing in three stages effectively, uh, let's call it the pre-shop. And that's how does a customer first get in touch with your brand? Social media, uh, online, word of mouth, walking past shops. What, what is the way that they first get in touch with the brand? And therefore, how do you capture that? And then when you bring them into the shop, what is it that's a bit unique around product, experience? Uh, has the shop and the business got an educational point of view or point of difference? Is it a bit inspirational? Is it much better priced than competitors? And it's tricky to compete on, generally speaking, on price and speed and convenience because ultimately, that is the that's kind of the domain of, of the Amazon Alibaba's and growing. And again, I'm excluding supermarket type businesses just for a moment. But if you can create personalized relationship, if you can create uniqueness in product, if you can create nice fulfillment either side there, and in the shop environment, if you can just make it more interesting to increase dwell time. You know, we've got a client, for example, in the woodworking business where um, we've moved them very much into not just selling the equipment to make spoons and tables and so on, but to have showrooms and um, classrooms and teach people how to actually use these tools to carve out products. And then we get into a whole different category of enthusiastic hobbyists. And so you create your community there. Now, that's very, very hard to replicate online, if at all possible. And then the post-sale. How many times do we leave a retailer and we never hear from them again? What does the retailer do to invite us back into that community? Is it newsletters? Is it VIP? Is it the teaching and the, and the, the training type stuff? Is it segmented for kids or whatever it might be, what's it going to do that will keep me coming back and telling my friends? So we look at a very high level at those types of things and then climbing into the economics of it and how to make it all work. But everything ultimately starts with uh, what is my customer proposition and how have I got uniqueness in this offer? Where the challenges really start is where a business can't perceive its uniquenesses, tries to build things to all people, hasn't structured its organization to have social media, online, digital parts. Now, that might be as much as 20 hours a week, someone in the team is the social media and online expert. Um, but, you know, retail, when all is said and done, at the customer facing, 
is a brand proposition business. And underneath it all is the detail of how to give the customer everything that you can that he or she wants or needs. No, for sure. And I mean, at its core, it just sounds like you're telling a business, you know, if you specialize in something, just do it the best of your ability, whether it's in store where you're actually going to be making an impression on a customer uh, and just being open and using social media to relate to your customers. Yeah, there's, there's no great surprise that when you look at the bigger mass merchandise businesses that are the generalists, with, with, with some exceptions, the pain has been felt by those types of businesses because it's hard to specialize at that scale in just product range because that area is the area that's the focus of um, the, the well the, the Alibabas and the Amazons of this world and other marketplaces for that matter, the Ebays and so forth. So if you're a physical retailer, you, you've really got to be thinking, okay, how do I move to this thing called retail ecosystem or omnichannel and how do I do it in the respective steps relative to scale and grow? And the other issue is, you know, you, you, honestly, you go back to the work of Sam Walton and, and he would have said and did say, be really something in the, in the minds of your customers. Stand for something. And I think that rings true. Definitely. I think so as well. And it's something that gets kind of lost in the big, in the big business. Uh, I mean, you know, it's hard to keep track of, of all your customers when you have so many. So I think that's great advice. Uh, yeah, we've touched on Amazon, Amazon today, for example, Josh. I think they stand for something, actually. You know, in terms of just there are many layers to this business, but at a fundamental level, they're about getting product to customers quicker and more efficiently than their competitors. Oh, absolutely. And, and the rest of it, you just debate as to how they go about doing it. But that's fundamentally the raison d'etre. Where do you see the industry, uh, the retail industry, going in the next 10 years, the next 15 years? You know, I know you touched on it, uh, just seeing how many people are going to be moving to the online marketplace. But what changes are you seeing as we continue on? Oh, I think that move from, um, you know, into more sort of uh, ambient shopping experiences, in other words, Shopping or retailing will be with us 24-7. It already is starting. And it'll pervade every aspect of consumers' lives, from, from our, our AI device informing us about the day ahead, the meetings, appointments, our schedule, to reordering our consumables like coffee and sugar for us, um, to to providing the content we watch on television or well, on monitors, let's say, um, through to the way we will communicate with our communities. So, you know, 3D printing, um, you know, talk about driverless cars, well, that will have major impact over time on, you know, shopping centres. Uh, we'll think of shopping centres, for example, very much as either big, Meccas and hubs, as many as some are, all will look much more at the community side of the side of uh, retailing. The middle will get a little bit more uh, ambivalent and, and sort of neutral, so that's got to be managed and looked at carefully, which it is. Um, consumers will have um, basically, as we do today, 
um, but a much faster, more powerful, all-encompassing, omnipotent computer at their fingertips. And so we'll know more about retail offering and consumer-type activity at an even more accelerated rate. And then the Internet of all things, of course, will, will link every, every single device. So the Internet of everything will connect all devices. Then you live in a world of a connected, an even more connected, accelerated experience. And technology will add much more into uh, really lifetime experiences for consumers, and we're seeing the beginning of all that. So it will be nothing in time to come for you to point your smartphone, Android or whatever it might be, at a screen, see an item that a, an actor is wearing, and it will be delivered to you the next day or that day. Crazy. I mean, these are also a bit futuristic, but you can get this sense of the way technology will pervade and is pervading into the rituals of our life. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and no longer making it in time to come, inverted commas, necessary to go to the physical or retail environments, except very much dictated by the human experience. And instinctively, and in the psychology of human beings, in the vast majority of cases, we are social by nature. We want places of community. We want places of interaction. And we want to build on our neighborhood and our communities. And that's the big saving grace, I think, ultimately, of physical retail. Now, physical retail yeah, and digital are not mutually exclusive. The next wave will be how retailers cleverly, and they're doing it now, use technology uh, in a number of ways. Uh, digital marketing, branding, uh, you know, the, the message into people's homes, if you like, into people's minds and psyche. Digital integration, that is uh, digital touch points in physical retail stores and vice versa, or certainly in the retail stores, less successful at present because I think that's a lot to do with the relative clunkiness of the hardware, but that'll change. And of course, digital fulfillment, which is a big investment area for retailers, and it should be, because that's about getting the product faster to our customer than ever before. And so yeah. if you think in those sort of terms, you start to think about uh, maybe not the Orwellian model, but but well on the way in the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and I mean, just looking, I mean, the amount of data that will be available as well, just using online markets, I mean, how can a retailer benefit from that? Well, it's a question of data into information. Again, to the earlier point, you know, that data, a lot of that data will be available, um, is available, but then it's also up to retailers to build meaningful data, and that takes me back into the customer insights discussion we had. Yeah. Um, great day. And I think you'll see a lot more collaboration between physical-based retailers, a lot more use of data and a lot more data that will be more meaningful because, you know, as you rightfully say, Josh, there's a mountain of data out there, but there's only really a certain amount that's valuable. So I like to see the intersection of data and 
and consumer insights to provide really meaningful content. Uh, also, just as an aside, we're members of what's called the Eveltop Group, which is a worldwide global retail expert alliance. And so I think those sort of alliances between retailers, their advisors, uh, will become more common. And finally, and that's where we get a lot of our global insights from. And finally, um, in this topic, what will also get interesting will be the rise and rise of the businesses like um, Uber come to mind. You know, um, because if people ask me what Uber is, it's a, it's a software company. And so, again, you see the power of data. You see the power of data determining the way the world will consume and providing, perhaps not determining, but, but to some degree influencing the way the world will consume and not just consume product, but consume services. And then we get into a really fascinating topic about the role of time. Because as all this speeds up, time becomes more compressed. People will start to value time in a different way as well, I suspect. And they're going to look for these service providers as part of the management, if you like, of their available time. So who knows? We might see, who knows, Uber Bank, Uber Airlines. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that idea of time is uh... – it is so fascinating just people realizing with these things that make life so much easier, things so much quicker, the value of a minute or a day, and people try to cram in so much. And I mean, here's technology just making shopping, making getting from point A to point B, getting food delivered, everything just so much easier. It's, a, it's an interesting time. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on, man. Absolute pleasure. I was just going to say, and at the heart of it, for retailer. It never, ever really moves away from having the right product at the right price, the right place, at the right time. It's just accelerating. Pleasure to talk to you today. I hope the listeners get something out of this. And um, they're always happy to send a note to retaildoctor.com.au or to brian at retaildoctor.com.au. Very happy to build on the topics. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to today's retail podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Josh Fisher. See ya.